Today's special guest, Travis Goff, is doing something very, very interesting. And on this podcast, we've interviewed hundreds of real estate entrepreneurs doing dozens of different real estate investing strategies. Travis is the first sober living home investor that I've had the pleasure of having on the show. I'm really looking forward to digging in depth into this because Travis, I I didn't tell you this offline, but um, alcoholism is something that's near and dear to my heart. So Travis, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, tell us a little bit the pre-sober living home story of, of Travis Goff and what got you into real estate investing and and then what does life look like for you now? Like what, what does your portfolio look like now? Yeah, absolutely. So I started off, uh, you know, I was, I was working, building other companies, um, not in real estate, but I grew up in construction. My father's a general contractor. So I kind of grew up doing projects and I started off by my wife and I bought our first townhome together. It was a short sale. We did a, a complete renovation to the property. We lived in it for a couple of years um through the renovation and then we moved on uh kept that as a rental basically did the burr model so you know we we added a ton of value through the the rehab and then we took out all of our invested capital including the down payment with a refinance and then we used that money to go and buy another property that was bigger and nicer and we basically did the same thing and yeah rinse and repeat so we did that a, a couple times um kept those... oh, sorry what what year did you start doing that travis what, what that was, did you get that was in 2016 well not that long ago then yeah, yeah. relatively recently Got yeah it. so it's it's accelerated really quickly um and then uh in 2019 so i did that a couple times got my feet wet uh i moved to washington state in 2018 um and was doing a rehab on on the property that we live in now um and through that, I wanted to connect with other real estate investors in Washington. Um, I thought at the time the market was kind of high, but I wanted to, you know, look for a deal and, you know, was just wanted to educate myself on the market. Um, and so I, I met uh, my partner, um, Jared Galdi, who now is my partner, but he was just a, a real estate investor in the area at the time mm-hmm. and uh, told him I was looking for deals. I wanted to see everything that you know, he was looking at just to educate myself and wasn't expecting to make any, uh, any purchases at that time. But that's when we, we found, uh, it's Oxford house is one of the, uh, the sober living houses that we, we work with. There are tenants. Um, but just right down the road from us, um, we found the first house and at first it almost seemed like it was too good to be true. Um, we wanted to dig into it and find, you know, the holes that, that were involved and, it was certainly uh, a learning experience for us, yeah. but we basically bought this house for five hundred eighty-six thousand dollars, and we got a five-year lease signed before closing for fifty-eight hundred dollars a month. Wow! And so, you know, pretty close to the one percent model. There, we put about twenty grand in, in rehab into it, um, and so that kind of kickstarted it. And kind of with with my background, I think, hey, this works. How can we scale it? And so that was in, we closed in July of 2019. And then by September, we closed on six more houses. Uh, So I don't, I don't really know how to go slow. (laughs) Evidently not. And, and fast forward a little bit. I think you had, 
he added 26 or 30 more after that, if if I'm not mistaken. In a yeah, so we did we did the first 10 sober living houses in six months. Then COVID hit and we kind of ran out of money. And through that phase, we were we were hustling. And I would say we we're we we're getting money from friends and family, high interest loans, basically just whatever we could to get these houses closed. And then, you know, we did some rehab. We were able to get some refinances done. We learned a lot about private lending and and all of that through that experience. And then, um, like I said, in 2020, uh, we took a break after 10 houses. COVID hit. We wanted to see what was going on. We needed to recapitalize and, and figure out what was going to happen with the market. And so we ended up raising a couple million dollars um, some from some investors. And we went out and bought 26 more houses uh, between the end of 2020 and the end of 2021. Um, so that was and that was across 11 different states. All right. Now let's let's unwrap things a little bit here, Travis, because yeah, you go fast and holy smokes, that's that's a lot to comprehend. So let's start at the beginning. What is a sober living home? Why don't, why don't we start there? What what exactly is this? I think I know what it is, yep. but I just want to really make sure I do. Absolutely. So there's there's different types of sober living homes, recovery homes. There's different phases that people would go in. Primarily, and, and now we're branching out, we work with different types of housing that would be more considered like um, like a halfway house. Basically, you know, they're they're located next to a treatment center, like an outpatient treatment center. Um, but it's a house that works alongside the treatment center and people stay there for 30 to 60 days at a time and they get shuttled to the treatment center. That's something that we're branching into now. But when well, we tell, tell me more about what you started off with, and then yeah. Uh, yeah. So we started off with Oxford House, um, which is a national nonprofit. They've been around for forty-seven years now. Um, but basically, they are self-run, self-governed homes that are each house is a subsidiary of the national nonprofit, um, and there's no treatment that happens in the house, but they follow a, a strict set of rules. And the members who live in the house um, are, are basically paying into a membership. So they pay their own share of the house. They don't pay us. The nonprofit that's set up for that house is the one that pays our, our rent. But the, the members who are staying there uh, are not receiving treatment. They're just living together in a sober environment where everyone is focusing on their recovery. So with that, there is no time that they're in there. It's just a group of guys, whether it's seven, eight, 10 guys that live in a, in a single house um, or women, there's also some houses that are women and children, uh, but they will live in the house together. They'll pay their equal share of the expenses of the house. Um, they all have specific jobs and duties. Um, so somebody's in charge of cleaning the kitchen somebody's in charge of doing the landscaping. Mm -hmm. And so what we found is they actually take really good care of the houses. Yeah. They're focused on their sobriety. Um, and so wild parties are not happening or they should not be happening in these houses. That's for sure. Yep, exactly. And then they're, they're overseen by local chapters and all that. So it's not like they, you know, everyone relapses in the house and then it turns into, you know, a drug house. Uh, if somebody relapses, they get kicked out. There have been cases um, where they, the chapter comes in and they have to clean out the whole house and everyone else has, everyone has to reapply to come into the, to live there. Um, but one of the benefits for us as the landlord is they are not tenants. Uh, they are 
uh, members that pay into an organization and they are due to federal. The, chari- the charity is your tenant. Really? Exactly. At the end yes. of the day. Okay. Yep. So that is fascinating, Travis. My, I guess, a couple of questions. Number one, why is the charity not buying their own houses instead of renting them from you? That, that would be the big question that comes to mind. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're a nonprofit. They've been around for four, I think almost 47 years now. Um, that's not part of their model. They're not real estate experts. They don't want to be, they don't plan to be, they want to be an expert in helping people through their recovery. And so they found that they can scale a lot faster and get more homes if they're not trying to figure out the real estate side of it and they are just working with really good landlords. And so we try to be the best landlord we can be for those people. Smart. So the first property you bought, you said you kind of stumbled on this one. So I'm guessing it was another investor that owned the property. It already had this already set up in it and they had to exit for some reason or, or how did, how did that work? No, it was, it was a house that was for sale and it was just, it was a large house. It had seven bedrooms in it. And um, so it was already kind of set up for that. And the organization, it was on, on market transaction. Uh, The organization Oxford house, they wanted this house to, um, they they wanted to basically bring in an investor to buy this house and, and lease it from them. So how did you hear about the deal? So my, my partner, Jared, he heard it. He's a, he was a local agent, mostly doing investments, but he was also an agent and connected to a lot of other agents in the area. And the listing agent on this property was the one that reached out to him. Got it. Okay. Makes sense. So then you're looking at this going, holy smokes, almost seems too good to be true. Turned out it wasn't, it was true. (laughs) And so as soon as you had that first kind of proof of concept, you guys quickly cranked it up and added 10 more properties by hook and by crook and raising private capital. And then definitely had proof of concept. And then that's when you really, really kind of kicked into gear. So, all right, now that you've given us a good overview of kind of how the business works, we can definitely see what all of the big pros are to that kind of strategy. And I'm, I'm guessing that, you know, once the organization saw that you guys were really good property owners and, and landlords for lack of a better term um, that they just kind of gave you carte blanche and said, Hey, here's where we want more houses. Go buy us some or, or what did it, what did it look like? Like it's, it's been of a, a, a bit of a mix because yeah. the, the boots on the ground, the, the, they call them outreach workers, the, the people who are opening the houses, um, they, they love working with us because we make it very easy for them. They are used to finding houses that are for rent um, and seeing if they can offer a little bit higher rent. Not, to not, get the not quite fitting the criteria, but kind of sort of thing. Right? Yeah. So it's it's hard for them to you know find each house or, or get somebody to commit to this versus somebody like us who knows the model. We know exactly what we're getting into. We know how to navigate certain challenges such as municipalities and things that can come at us. Um, and so it's very easy for us to open new houses with them. Um, on the contrary, the upper management from the organization, um, who have been there longer, they've had some bad experiences with quote investors who come in and they, they basically buy up a bunch of houses. They don't take care of them. They jack up the rents. They make it very difficult for them to operate. Mm -hmm. And the approach that we've taken 
has been to be a partner of theirs. We want to take really good care of the homes. We care about the people that are that are in there. We've met with a lot of the people, especially locally. Um, you know, we've got houses all over now, so we, we aren't able to go to all of them and meet everyone. But in the beginning, we were meeting a lot of people, uh, hearing their stories. We understand what their challenges are. Um, we actually hired a full-time property manager from the organization who went through Oxford House, went through recovery, is still in recovery, and worked at that organization. And so um, we've tried to be a really good partner of theirs. And over uh, a handful of years now, we've been able to show them that we're just not we're not just a, a regular investor. We are really trying to be a partner of theirs. Long term, long term growth yeah. was smart. And that just takes time. You know, yeah. we have to prove ourselves over over. So time. you guys are are happy to kind of scale up and you're not looking to squeeze all the possible juice out of that orange. You want you want to <laughs> you want to make it a win-win for everybody. It's obviously it has to be profitable, but not at the expense of the organization having a tough time. Plus you you want to stay in their good books so that they're happy to continue doing business with you guys wherever you decide to expand to. 100%. We like to say that we're unemotional about the numbers so that we can be emotional about the people. You know, we, you know, for, for us, we, we have to hit certain numbers for us to raise capital. We've got a cost of capital on the properties and then we can go out and we can, you know, buy the next one as long as we continue to perform. And so that's, that's part of our model. Um, and as long as we do that, we can really care on the houses and, and we're transparent with where we need to be on the rent on the front end. And it has to, like you said, it has to work for both sides because we don't want a house who's struggling to pay rent every month and they're stressed because if they're thriving, one, they're going to take better care of the houses. And then two, they're going to be more likely to renew with us at the end of the lease. Yeah, exactly. You know, that makes a lot of sense. So what is kind of, if you could wave the realistic magic wand, the ideal house for this strategy, what does it look like? It depends on where they need them. Yeah. So, I mean, they're, they're, they're in a lot of it. I mean, they're all over the country. So um, I would say, uh, you know, addiction is, is a, um, you know, major problem and it's in every city around the country. So uh, you can, you can do it just about anywhere. Um, it's harder to make the numbers work in specific markets uh, just because of costs and, and everything. But generally we're looking for larger houses, at least, you know, four plus bedrooms. Um, if we can, you know, sometimes we'll turn a, a formal dining room into an extra bedroom, we'll wall it in, we'll add a closet, make sure there's egress and so on um, to make it a little bit larger. And then for the most part, they they also need to be within walking distance to public transportation. Um, so half a mile or less to a bus stop is, is kind of what we're looking for. Yeah. Very, very interesting. And the... I think you called the members that are staying in these homes. Do they have their own private room? Are they sharing a room with somebody else? How many people typically live in one of these homes? Yeah, I think it's um, on average uh, eight to nine people per house. Um, so we've got houses, I think, as low as, as seven and as many as 12 um, in a house. And it depends on the area. Uh, some areas they like to have mostly single rooms. Um, and that would be where, you know, we're buying a house for $200,000. Um, but then on the other side of it, uh, I've got a house in Northern California that, you know, it's expensive there and for them to make it work, they've got, you know, pretty much everyone, uh, two per room. So, um, that's just, it, it's market dependent. 
Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. So on the surface, like anything, it sounds fantastic, right? Because I'm listening to this going, hey, so you buy, you connect with this organization. They need these kind of homes. You find a, a home, purchase it, maybe fix it up a little bit. You get a beautiful long-term tenant in there. They're paying the rent. They're taking care of the members that are in there. I don't really need to to deal with these folks. That's that's all taken care of. The rent's coming in one way or the other. Uh, sounds awesome. There must be some pitfalls to it. It can't be all sunshine and roses, I'm thinking, Travis. So what are some of the challenges with this model? There's definitely uh, challenges that we've we've gone through uh, and, and we continue to learn as, as we grow and get into more houses, but municipalities, neighbors. Um, on the, yeah. yeah, on the front end, that is the uh, the biggest challenge um, because most people are afraid of the unknown. Yeah. They don't know what's coming in. They think that, you know, we've we've heard all kinds of different things that this is, uh, you know, a battered women's shelter that, you know, these are, are convicts that are going to come and they can't be in our neighborhood and it's going to be dangerous for our kids. And, uh, you know, you, you name it, we've heard it. Um, we just need to, I, I think the big thing for us is we just got to love on people and we got to tell them, uh, you know, exactly what it is, try to be transparent. We work with municipalities a lot um, because, you know, there's there's a lot of uh, zoning laws out there for the number of residents per house. And with our organization that we work with, they've taken cases all the way to the Supreme Court that they need to be receive reasonable accommodation um, to have more than the usual number of unrelated individuals in a home. And so due to those case studies, we're able to uh, really, it's, it's mostly education of the municipalities um, to let them know that, you know, this is allowed. And if they have problems with it, we work directly with uh, Oxford House and their legal counsel um, because they've always backed the landlords and helped, uh, you know, through any legal situations. Um, and I mean, we're dealing with that right now with a, a new city that's got its first Oxford house and, and it's, I mean, it's a beautiful house in a nice neighborhood. And, and I completely understand, you know, the, the initial shock from the neighbors um, and the municipalities, and it's really just trying to educate them through that. So that that's, you know, one of the early challenges, once the members move in and they're taking good care of the house and they get to meet the neighbors, it, for the most part, it completely goes away and they you know are happy uh to be their neighbors and and uh it's actually a good relationship but it's mostly on the front end when they are, again it's yeah. the fear of the unknown it's the fear of the unknown for sure i get it i mean i i would be without talking with you if i had heard that a facility like this was coming into my neighborhood it would because first of all the news would probably skew it yeah. completely and totally. <laughs> so i could see people getting getting concerned about that fantastic travis and just out of curiosity the members that stay there typically what's the length of not that it really matters to you as the landlord but what have you found has been the typical length of time somebody stays in one of these properties as a member yeah as a member their their typical stay it's a little over 12 months is the average stay i would say when a, when a house is first opening there's more uh volume of people coming in and out and then it starts to stabilize but there's, I mean, there's Oxford houses that have been around for decades and they've had, you know, the same eight guys that lived there for 20 years. Wow. And it's just like, 
you know, it, they're, they're a family and that's just, they're doing life together. They're all li- living in recovery and that's, that's what that's they do. A safe place, man. That's they, they, they're not. Yeah. Now, a reason I can relate to this is uh, I'm a, a child of an alcoholic father um, who thankfully for me found recovery before I was born. My brother wasn't quite as lucky, my older brother, but um, yeah, if it wasn't for recovery, I wouldn't be around because my, my mother dumped him and uh, you know, he was, he was floundering around and I'm sure he would have done much better if he had found a facility like this, but they didn't exist back then. So no, that's uh, an amazingly valuable service that you're providing. I'm glad to hear that this is another example of doing good and doing well at the same time. So Travis, hey, hats off to you. Good luck with uh, all your future endeavors and continuing to to grow this uh, very, very valuable service. And if people want to connect with you or find out more, what can they do? Yeah, so we, we also um, have a, a newer uh, real estate coaching um, business that we, we coach on helping in new investors get into uh, both real estate investing, but um, we also focus heavily on sober living. Um, and so our company is called Rooted Real Estate Coaching. And people can find us at rootedrealestatecoaching.com and reach out. We'd be happy to talk to you and, and see if we can help out. Awesome. Very good. Well, thank you very much, Travis. And everybody else, thanks for tuning in. And we'll talk to you on the next episode.